This meeting is being recorded. It's being recorded. Not heard that before. Anyway, <laughs> hello everybody and uh, welcome to the 138th edition of the Frank and Stan chat. And for those of you watching on video, you'll see that we have a guest, uh, a third face on the screen, and it's uh, Zetun Bukhara. So hello, Zetun. Lovely for you to join us. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Great, great. And uh, yeah, so Stan, I've had a, a few days in Malaga, which has been fantastic. Uh, how was your last week? <laughs> Yeah, cold and wet. How are you? It's hot and sunny. <laughs> hot and sunny, I'm afraid, yeah. I mean, the sun was out every day, and it was uh, most days high teens, low 20s, and uh, fairly quiet as well in Malaga. So uh, I really enjoyed it. But, uh, oh, I'm, I was obviously thinking about you, Stan. Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so, Toon, um would you like to sort of just introduce yourself and just sort of uh, give us some idea of the sorts of things that you're doing and, and the sorts of things professionally that you know you're interested in yeah absolutely so i'm zaytun bakari um so i um am in the northwest um and i work for atc trust now we're a, a small trust of four schools uh, we have two secondary schools and two primary schools in blackpool um my main role um is looking after the edtech uh, or the digital strategy, really, more than anything else. Um, and edtech is one aspect of that digital strategy. So my journey, I'm actually a physics teacher, um, <laughs> nothing <laughs> to do with technology. Um, so my journey started in Blackburn, uh, in a school in Blackburn, and um, a secondary school, and I've worked there for 14 years um, in the classroom. But alongside working there, um, I also started to um, look into the use of Google for education tools. Now, as a school, we decided to move away from Microsoft and we decided to uh, look into the Google environment. But as we were going into this environment, there wasn't much support out there. Um, it was very new to the UK generally. So in terms of training and what was available for us, it was, it was very limited. So myself and a couple of our staff, um, we just put all of our time and effort into understanding what these tools were and how we use them, started using them in our classroom. And uh, we very quickly, uh, within, I would say, a year, we started to adopt it across the school. Um, and we, we went towards a one-to-one -one Chromebook situation within the school. So every child um, had a Chromebook and every teacher was taught how to teach using the tools. Um, that in itself was a big change, a uh, shift from, from you know, the, the basic stuff that we were using to this whole new environment of collaboration that just, it, it reduced workload in so many different ways. Did you but do then, that as a big bang approach that everybody got the Chromebooks on the same day? Yeah, so it, yeah. With, the, with the students, we had to roll it out. Uh, yeah. We did a parental contribution towards that, and um, it was rolled out gradually. But with the staff, it was we trained 25 staff on one occasion. Uh, they became uh, what we call Google champions, and then we went away and trained another 25 staff. We had every faculty covered with a number of staff within each faculty who we had trained to a level that they understood what the tools were and how they can use them in the classroom. Back then, it was very basic. This is a tool. This is how we're going to use it. There was no, there was it was it was literally just um, switching, substituting one product for another product, more than anything else, for a cost-effective way of of working. So in that time, I started to look into my personal 
certifications and how can I be be more certified to do what I'm doing so um, I ended up becoming level one educator for Google and then I passed my level two educator I then became a Google certified trainer um, I then applied just, to just before you do that for those people that are uh, watching and listening how, how much time did that take to get through those various sort of levels so um, a lot of this was me working myself as a passion for me mm. uh, to to broaden what what education what I could do in education in physics and science. So a lot of the time was invested by me, and it was after school and it was on the weekends and it was an evening kind of thing. Um, but now um, we can run a boot camp in a day and we can right. get. Our staff, all of our staff across the trust, pretty much are now level one educators. Um, so we we can run that quite easily. Um, so after I did my trainer and I became a Google certified trainer, um, I then appro- uh, approached Google and with an innovator project. So an an idea that I felt would help change the way we currently use our CPD and how we store our CPD and how it can become more accessible. So I was then chosen to become one of 36 from across the world uh, to go down to London and be <laughs> and be part of this innovative project. <laughs> um, so my uh, we, we uh, had three days of intense, just everybody scrutinizing our ideas and and, you know, saying, well, that's already out there to something else. And we were like, oh, my word. Um, but meeting with uh, engineers and seeing if we were to create a product, how would that look? Well, we launched our product um, and and my schools, all my schools now have a CPD dashboard where they store all of their CPD um, and it's accessible throughout the years and over the years go by. We've got podcasts on there. We've, all, we've got all, yeah. all that in conversations that we couldn't capture before. We've captured it all and it's all there for everyone to see. And then um, I was approached again by Google uh, and um, to become a Google certified coach. So that then looks at more of the pedagogical side of using technology in the classroom. And again, one of 24 from from the UK to to be approached to become one of them. So that then has led me onto this journey of uh, becoming the ed tech uh, or the, uh, the digital uh, strategy lead for the trust um, and my role now across all four schools is that we've implemented Google for Education across all four schools. Uh, we were able to collaborate effectively uh, between all the schools um, and my main role now is to train those tra- teachers on how to use those tools effectively in the classroom uh, and we're not just doing what we did originally where we right. substituted things it's more why are you using this? Is this the right tool to use at this moment in time? Or should we, it might not be that you don't, you might not even need to use technology in that frame. Um, so getting the teachers to understand what, what they need to do. And we're really looking into the curriculum at the moment and amplifying that curriculum. So so everything is just seamless in a way. So, I mean, in, in a way, uh, there are laggards in and 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 I'm glad that there are, to be honest, at times, um, who are basically saying, "Well, you know, is this really going to produce the the results? You know, we've been we've tried these sorts of things before; they've probably failed for various reasons. I mean, how have you got some of those sort of more less reluctant, uh, more reluctant um, colleagues to get on board with this? 
Um, we have had in in that journey. It took me seven years to to from the first time we started using these tools to get all the staff on board with it fully, um, and and it was tough. But a lot of it came down to showing the staff what they are currently using and how they can use it in a more effective way for their students, mm-hmm. and really really changing that focus. That it's not about you as a teacher as an individual and what you're comfortable with it's about <laughs> our learners our learners are the, my own three i've got three boys and it is amazing what kind of um understanding they have of the world and how how quickly they are um able to use the technology um and sometimes it baffles me as well and i'm really good with the technology <laughs> um, and it's it's that environment that you bring in the children into and you you giving them them fundamental skills that is going to help them build their careers and their life. It's very different from where we were and what we had. Um, and and it's just upskilling those teachers. And it does take a lot of time. And for some teachers, it's this is where the pedagogy comes into. It's that pedagogical belief that they feel that that is the right thing for them to do in that classroom because that's where their comfort zone is. Um, and it's just getting them to step out of that comfort zone a little bit, step by step, and it and it really is baby steps for some. But we've got there. It was funny because... So when, uh, uh, oh, so when we got locked down then, was your um, trust absolutely straight into uh, technology teaching children we from home? We were. We were running our full timetables as we would do in class, in school, online uh with all the tools there um we provided all of our teachers with chromebooks with styluses as well so they could they could do everything they needed we provide them with a second screen as well because we understood that chromebook screens are quite small so the second screen we even gave them chairs to sit on comfortably at home um (laughs) so the setup was all there our students we were uh, we had a really good system where we asked the students to join the class at a certain time we had five ten minutes time frame in which they had to join and if they didn't join then we had the system of sending a text message home to parents to say um we're live now and your child is not on um so the parents like oh come on get on um <laughs> so yeah our attendance was really good um i obviously I, I was teaching physics i was teaching top sets in physics and all of my children were there they didn't they didn't miss anything um and then when we came back into school we carried on with a lot of the things that we developed. We've developed so many amazing new ways of learning for our children um, that we've just followed through and we've enhanced what they, what provisions they have in school and outside of school now. Are you yeah. finding though more children want to study computing, computer science, or computing at, G, at GCSE? I mean, I, the, for me, the, the, uh, I'm involved in in sort of business engagement and businesses are crying out for, you know, um, young people with the right attitudes and the right skills, you know, to work in the digital world, but but they're not coming through. And and there is a view uh, that the the GCSE is not really sort of broad enough to, to draw in the full range of kids that actually the, the industries need, you know? Yeah. Yeah, my my viewpoint on this, and this is you know purely my viewpoint on this, that you can have um, edtech or you can have technology in the classroom. The child can use technology like they would use a pen, 
okay and they build those fundamental skills using that and if they go into industry they will use those fundamental skills when we look at um gcse computer science or we look at actual qualifications in technology that's very specific to a certain skill set you accord uh you you do all those extra things but in industry what we what we kind of like seeing is that st uh, students need to come in with the basic understanding of how to type per certain uh, letters per per second or yes. per minute or whatever it's going to be they understand if someone says oh you need to use an excel sheet or you need to use a spreadsheet what to do with it they have those basic fundamental skills to just go with it or they can send an email they don't those are the skills that i find now in our schools that are the fundamental they are so fundamental now that they that the children are becoming very independent i'll give you an example of our one of our schools last year's exams results our english department was one of our most reluctant departments to go on board they're like there's no there's no use for technology in English. What are you talking about? <laughs> and we were like, no, you have to give it a go. You you're getting your children to draft and redraft their assignments. How can you do this where you're not having to mark hours and hours and hours? They're not having to write hours and hours and hours. You you're losing that time doing that, but you can create a digital version of what you're doing that's more effective, that will capture their journey from where they were to where they get to, and they can see that progression as well. Um, so now our English departments do something called a live doc. And right. through and in September, the start in September, and throughout the year, this live doc is just populated on a daily basis with the work that the child will normally do. Now, last year was the first year that Chromebooks were actually using the GCSE exams for English. Right. And oh, our well, results... They were oh, used wow. and I our results were phenomenal yeah. simply because the children had been trained how quick, how to type yeah. and how to quickly put together the concepts, the ideas using a Chromebook. And they've been using them on a daily basis and they've been taught how to deliver what they need to deliver that exam question and how to do it properly. Um, that the exam results this year were phenomenal. Right. Um, and it, and it, a lot of it is now, embedding that across all the schools so all the faculties like geography and history where you do a lot of essay writing and they are starting to adopt some of those ideas and and make it so that it works for their faculties as well right Very good. wow <laughs> see we're, we're, this is why we have guests <laughs> yeah, that's so much i'm just thinking of your text to the, a, a parent to say their child's not engaged yet in the five minutes at the school where I'm at, they had to phone the parent to say it's a primary school that your child appears to have fallen to sleep on the settee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> okay. Right. Well, thank you very much for that. It's fascinating uh, input. Um, and if, well, we've had, I think we've had, what is it, about 20 minutes. So that's, uh, if we can wrap this next bit up in about 10 minutes, that'd be great. But Stan, what's caught your eye this week? Well, it's, uh, it's something I've just been asked to look at, um, the absence and, and not persistent absence. I know absence is a big thing at the moment in schools, but the authorised and unauthorised absence, uh, particularly um, for a, a family wanting to, to take uh, the child abroad for family reasons. And so having sort of delved into a bit, uh, I, I thought foolishly there will be some clear criteria about what's what's 
allowable, what's not allowable. So I, I looked into it, and actually, when the government changed from the suggestion that, that families could be authorised for two weeks' holiday um, and the head teacher could authorise that, they changed it, but they just removed the examples, basically, and left the overriding thing that this, this was only in exceptional circumstances, but there's no definition of what the exceptional circumstance is. And I think when, when you think of pressure on, on head teachers. To, to fall out with a family mm. <laughs> over over the authorization or non-authorization of a of an occasion that perhaps the family feel is is really important seems unfair pressure on one person because it's the head's judgment it's the head's decision uh, and it's not um a governor's role uh, i've I've seen I've looked at some schools where the governors have clearly put together some criteria but even even then it's 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 very loose and open to all kinds of interpretation. And I just think, particularly post-COVID and post-lockdown, mm. there'll be families who haven't seen relatives for, for quite some time. And should we sort of be thinking, well, maybe that's a good thing, rather than assuming that every absence from school is is a bad thing? I mean, if I think back, well, a long time ago, no, when I was having to authorise or not absences, I can remember a family going to Norway on um, technically a family holiday, but they were going meeting relatives and, and, and the child came back with so much knowledge and experience. Yeah. We used to do that. Well, there's your homework you take with you and you fill in a diary and, and all those things. But actually his experience of, of what he'd, he'd gone through um, in Norway was far Far, far wider and brighter than anything we would have done in school in that in that week. I just think it's it's a lack of flexibility, uh, and almost it needs the job needs to move to governors. I think so that yeah. governors governors can set that as a governing body, and then the head teacher is is only implementing the governor's plans. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I. Uh... I've seen some letters recently which have not been issued to uh, pupils before um, highlighting um, what the current sort of attendance figures are, sort of mid-year, and sort of explaining, you know, uh, well, this percentage means five days lost or whatever it is, you know. And actually um, some of the children that these relate to have been um, struck down with COVID. And, uh, and, and also I'm aware of um, one child in particular who's, who had a, as well as COVID, had a really bad flu bout and couldn't get rid of it. But there was no, um, the letters were those that you probably produce on Google Docs or whatever, where you just basically miss out the space for the percentage and miss out a space for the, the parent's name or the child's name. And, and it's so harsh, you know, that in effect the letters become just data, a mechanism for sharing data not sharing concern uh, or anything particular about the reasons why this child's result uh, uh, figures are much lower than this one. It would have been helpful to have said, but it may well be, you know, that your child has had COVID or you know, had this terrible bout of flu, whatever. But if not, you know, but there's nothing like that. It was just too stark, you know, and I, I feel as though at times... I think... Education uh, becomes, you, you lose that sort of sense of the individual in it. You know, ASCL, I think, have, have made a submission to the select committee 
about this very, you know, the, the the flexibility that needs to be introduced in their view at the moment. But it, it's also particularly uh, uh, children with special educational needs and disabilities mm. often have more absences and there ought to be a way of, of, of recording that yeah. differently than, than it is at the moment. Or if they need time with their family in a particular location, that should be flexible enough to be able to do that. Yeah. And all it does at the moment is generate, so I suppose, antagonism between between parents and families and and the school. Um, and the, the, I don't want to go back to everyone assuming they had two weeks off, on, on you know, two-week yeah. term time on holiday, because <laughs> I know the disruption it does to the school. I just think we've we've sort of slammed down on the rules so hard that now there's there's no way. I, for instance, I was looking at some examples of uh, criteria, and it was like death of parent or or sibling. You know, yeah, we may we may allow you a day for, for that. Yeah, you just think, wow, where where have we gone to? I, actually, um, the thing here is that this is something we've spoken about before, Zatoon, about um, staff being given time off mm. as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. and. Uh, I, I find it unbelievable that there are um, uh, teachers who contact me um, because they they don't know what to do with their head teacher because their their uh, grandmother is ill. Uh, she's well, she's passed away. She lives in Brighton. It's going to take the teacher virtually a day to get down to Brighton to go to the funeral and then being expected then to come back that day in order to turn up for school the next day, you know, and actually the, the fact that head teachers, some, not all, um, means, um, uh, just don't get the sense of the understanding that if only you could be more flexible, you'd get so much more in return from your staff member. You know, it may be, this is a period where you need to really show compassion and instead they're stuck with, oh, you get a day. And the, and the teacher says, well, I can't get down there and I can't get back in a day. How am, I, how am I meant to do it? Well, you're going to have to lose pay. You know, it's... Anyway, we could wrap it on for... <laughs> and we do. We do. <laughs> Zatoon, what's caught your eye this week? Okay, so what caught my eye this week? My nieces came um, from north, from the south, up north, and um, they go to a very um, elusive kind of school, very, very good school. Um, and this school is a part of a very well-renowned trust around the UK. Now, that in itself hasn't, you know, you already have that expectation that the teaching is going to be amazing and these children are going to be amazing. So my niece asked me about, um, she wanted to know how uh, we do uh, radiation decay and she, she missed a lesson and she didn't understand it. As I was going through that with her, I tried typical teacher thing. I started to dwell into her prior knowledge of, of certain other aspects of that topic, um, and it and, and it was very limited. And I said, "Why is it so limited?" And she goes, "Well, we've got a new teacher, and she's spending a lot of her time trying to control the class and trying to set the, the the scene for us that we're missing out on what we need to learn." And that got me thinking that these are these and it's very true that new staff coming in, we have an induction day at the beginning of the year and we may set a, a, a few hours throughout the academic year for them to go ahead and, and do some meeting times. But majority of that time is taken up by going through policies and 
trying to get like the basics of the school running in there. There isn't any teacher development time. There isn't any uh, uh, opportunity for teachers to step out and go and learn and see how teaching practice is being done elsewhere or in another classroom or down the corridor even. They just don't get that time. And I think it's really important with, with especially like you mentioned earlier on about Teach First, one of our schools got a lot of Teach First staff in there. And these staff haven't been trained. They've, they've literally been thrown in the deep end. Majority of those staff may have come from a different industrial kind of job and come straight into education. And for them, it's, it, it's a whole different world. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and what support is there for, for those teachers other than, yeah, you've got an induction on the 1st of September. Um, and how, you know, how can we start to build something that they feel that they are continuously getting help and training even subject training for their own personal subjects is there, is there an attitude stan you might have a view on this that you um you throw them in and if they don't make it they're in a sense a bit disposable yeah. you know um that actually well there's probably somebody else further down the queue that we could bring forward um and and to me when you think about the investment the cost to, to the country of an investment you know this it's not as if the, the, well we're, we're short particularly of science subjects we, we're massively short of scientists aren't we wanting to teach yeah. they, they're like gold dust we really do need to keep virtually you know, particularly those teachers but every teacher we've got to try and make the best of it you know um and it's really terrible when you hear these sorts of stories particularly around behavior we've had sam strickland on here who's written the book called the behavior book and and he's very clear about you know the school needs to, you know, do everything, be very clear about what the rules are and actually encourage teachers to to really, you know, live to those rules and uh, and to support them, you know. Um, I worked with a Matt some time ago where the leadership had decided that, that behaviour was their responsibility, not not individual teachers' responsibility. So the senior leadership team took took responsibility where there were problems with with pupils behavior they dealt with it so the teachers were left to do the teaching not not do the as you say not trying to manage the classroom in the same way with with uh, as, as teach and I, I felt that really refreshing because talking to the senior leaders they were very clear about that was their role so they would you know if there was a problem in the class they they would deal with it yeah I, I suppose I feel a little bit uh about the need for teachers to take re- some responsibility yeah, for I, I, I don't i don't think they came in and, and stopped a child talking out of turn but, <laughs> but where there was where there were, were, were pupils who, who weren't going to follow the rules then it, it wasn't for a teacher to, to spend a whole lesson disciplining a particular child i, I found when i became a parent my attitude towards behavior changed <laughs> Absolutely. <It really> did. <laughs> yeah. i also believe that it also comes down to if the teacher's not got the experience on how to make that lesson more engaging, your behavior issues are going to be there anyway. But if if the the ability to use tools and the ability to be adaptable and to be uh, the ability to read a child as they walk in and you know, oh, so someone's had a rough day, yes. Yes. That, that, you, that you're able to just lay off a little bit, that in itself would, yeah. you know, you'll take half of those behavioral issues away. Yeah, yeah, it is an investment in time. Yeah. For not in my view, it's not not just recent appointees to the school. It, yeah. It's it should be part of your professional development that you should be given time 
to partner a teacher somewhere else in the school to to enjoy watching a lesson, not observe a lesson and not taking notes mm. and not criticising, but actually just enjoying watching a good lesson taught and, and learning from it. You but I do stuff. have a thing about having second person there. Yeah. And this is why, in my view, it's always expensive, because I think if you put somebody who doesn't know what they're looking for, looking at, into a classroom and say, have a see what you think, they, they don't know. But if you yeah. put somebody sitting with them saying, did you notice that? Did you see how that happened? And did you notice the way the teacher dealt with that? Now, that's very expensive. That's two teachers out watching a third or enjoying a third teacher teach. But I would say it's well worth it. Well, we, I developed something like that in Stockport in about 10 years ago called Mucking In. We didn't want anything to do with lesson observations. We wanted this to be extra adults working in the classroom with children, talking to children, and, and actually sort of trying to understand why some of the children were finding it difficult. And was that related to their current task or their previous learning? Or was it about... Was it was it about actually how the teachers were? Lost teaching? you for a minute there, Frank. Oh, did you? Oh, right. You still there? I lost you, Frank. All right. Yeah, I think you've, you've, your oh, signal's gone. Unstable. Uh, I will say that when when Frank told me about uh, mucking in, I I did use a version of that with with schools and encouraged them to do, it, particularly when they were the. The head teachers, after saying primary more than anybody, were observing every teacher to death in order to f- fill mm. things. And I used to s- use Frank's example of mucking in to say, don't, don't go and observe the lesson. Go and join the teacher in delivering yeah. the lesson. And then at the end, sit down with the teacher and talk about what worked and what didn't work. We, we're doing exactly the same thing across our trust where uh, myself and the director of education, Vicky, we go away and we don't tell teachers how to use technology. We go in and team teach with the teachers. We teach them how or show them how it can be done for them to learn with us going in. And, and like you say, San, in terms of, of uh, cost, us going in from a central team um, is no cost to the school. It's, it's just helping that teacher to understand where, how it would be used. And I'm back. Hey. Uh, yeah, so I could see my. I came up saying my signal was unstable, which we've had before, Stan. But uh, yeah. not, not. Anyway, I'll, I'll if 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 required, I'll adapt the. Uh, I'll, I'll clip the film to sort of take that out. Um, right. So just if I can just quickly, because this is we're, we're well over time on this already. Um, no, just to say that um, for me, that what's caught my eye this week was the teacher tap um, results, where Laura McInerney. Um, uh, has actually asked, well, got 9,000 responses uh, related to workload and what were the things that were making it difficult for teachers, you know, what were the pressures? And there was a big difference between primary and secondary. So in primary, uh, 5,000 teachers answered this and they said the top three things were marking, which is 30% of the answers, data, 20%, and display creation, 10%. And uh, uh, that that takes us back. I mean, it, d- display creation. I mean, uh, I, I I I do flow from that. I mean, because it's so much more than just decoration, you know. I mean, but anyway, that's a, an aside. But in secondaries, it was um, paperwork and bureaucracy was about a third of the answers. 
marking and assessment, Ofsted preparation and data inputs. And when you talk to them about bureaucracy, it was having to upload lessons to central folders, teams and classrooms, adding initiatives to lesson plans, updating online systems, adding icons to slides and completing forms to purchase basic items. So it's a completely, you know, it feels as if in the secondaries, what's filling up the time is sort of a, a, a need to align with an agreed process in the sec in the primaries it's basic stuff of marking <laughs> and and it hasn't changed Dan. i think this that you would would probably say this 20 years ago but in secondaries it feels as though this sort of compliance bit getting everybody to do the same seems to be impacting heavily on what teachers do and are expected to do i so, don't think some of that might be um unexpected consequences or unintended consequences of having uh, I'll, I'll get the two notes to go on here. Having technology that might not be doing the best thing it can do. Yeah. So, exactly, so if you've yeah. got teachers having to go online and fill a form in and yeah. do everything in order to order something, whereas before they went and asked somebody, "Could we have?" Then that that's a system that needs rethinking and re relooking. Yeah, somebody, that. somebody, a guest here as uh, a tune uh, a few well probably a year ago said, one of the best things we ever did was teach teachers how to use an Excel spreadsheet to record their results so they can upload. So many of them had no idea that you could use this sheet and upload to a system. You know, they were yeah. still inputting individual results onto the central yeah. system. Absolutely. We do exactly the same. All of our input is put into a Excel, not an Excel, but a Google yeah, sheet. Google Sheets, uh, yeah. And then it's and then it's um, bulk uploaded onto Arbor. Uh, and that normally gets done by the, the head of department, really. Yeah. So, it, again, taking that, and in terms of marking, and technology we use something called moat so we do verbal feedback that's captured um and and it's reduced our workload significantly where we can just we don't spend ages just sitting there marking and writing uh, a comment we can just speak a comment <laughs> okay so um well come to the end of the chat but before we do close it we we ask our guests to just give us one thing that they wish they could introduce that would improve education for many. Uh, so um, we don't know what you're going to say, Zetu. So let's have it. Um, I, I just think um, one thing that I think would change education is to have um, the, the ability to view other people's teaching or, or, or the, the way other people or other teachers or other institutes are doing the same job but is being done in a way that is uh, cost effective, it's, it decreases workload, it's impactful for the learners and it's impactful for the teachers. We work, I work a lot with international schools um, and just seeing what the Nordics do and seeing what like mm. how, how things happen in Sweden and, and just to see that kind of educational framework um, and how it's being developed here in the in the UK. I've I work with Scottish uh, leaders, and even up there, it's a whole different world in comparison to where we are here in England. Okay. So I think one thing that I would love to see is to, for us to see a change in the way our classrooms are set and the way our typical way of teaching is in a way prescribed for us to do that that change and with that change will come a whole host of different changes that will allow ours our learners to have a more impactful learning experience and it's not just the black and white traditional classroom and also prepare them for the world of work 
which exactly. is going to be heavily digital going forward. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Well, I endorse that. So, and I'm sure Stan will. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Okay. Well, thank you, everybody. Uh, a fascinating well, discussion um, and very broad as well. So thank you so much for joining us, Atun. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'd love to have you back. Um, and also, please uh, let us know how the the bet presentation goes uh, at the end of March. Um, a big day for you, I suspect, but uh, we'll be very interested to see, you know, what the outcome of that is. Absolutely. We, we've got a, we've got a stage for our trust to present. Uh, I also work for Google's, uh, one of Google's uh, partners. So I'll be uh, doing all their experience anyway on the back on the side of it. But we've got our Vicky, who's our director of education, who will be presenting our journey at BET um, at the end of March. OK, well, thank you very much. Um, and just some news for the future. I think we've secured um, uh, we're going to do a, an extra Frankenstein chat um, to consider the annual report for, for that's come out over the last couple of days from Headrest. So a couple of guests are going to join us who have uh, who work for that organisation, um, which is there to sort of try and manage stress and strain that head teachers and senior leaders face or have been facing. So we've got that, and also still trying to push as hard as we can see if we can secure some time from a Ukrainian teacher out in the Ukraine to talk to us about, you know, the sort of issues that he or she has been dealing with. So we're getting close to securing that as well. So it's a very exciting time for Frankenstein chat. I just really wanted to put it out there. And uh, we're lucky to have people like you willing to join us though too. So thank you very much indeed. And uh, yeah, well, hopefully all being well, we'll see all of you uh, next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you.